Hi, on the 5th and 6th of June, 2024, I'll be speaking at the largest AI event in Asia, Super AI in Singapore, at the iconic Marina Bay Sands. Alongside brilliant minds like Edward Snowden, Benedict Devon, and Balaji Srinivasan, I'll be on a stage exploring the extraordinary potential of AI and the profound change it represents, not just for financial markets, but also for the world as we know it. With over 5,000 attendees and over 150 side events, Singapore will become a vibrant hub for a full week from the 3rd and 9th of June. Visit superai.com to register and join me with 20% off tickets using the code REALVISION. Use the link in the description and I'll see you there. It's going to be incredible. Hey, everybody. I'm Samuel Burke. Welcome to a special edition of this special series we have this week called Research, How the Pros Do It. Joining me on this edition is David Matten, the brain, along with Rao Pal, behind the Exponentialist. Hey, David, how are you doing? Hey, Samuel. I'm good. How are you? Nice. I mean, the weather sucks here in London, but that's nothing new. So you and I will just uh, power through the clouds and gray and see light in the technology. <laughs> Before I get to... Before I get to your story, David, I just want to do a kind of recap of what we've seen this week. I've been watching every edition of this special series, and it's been really fascinating to see the contrast between folks. Uh, what stood out to me with Peter Bookvar and Brett Donnelly was finding out who you are as you do research. Trying to emulate somebody else really has a ceiling, and you can't go too far with that as you try to build your framework. Um, it was really interesting for me uh, hearing Peter Bookvar talking about his struggles between great information, which he feels he's quite strong at, and the challenge of time horizons, which is something that we emphasize over and over again here at Real Vision. Obviously, with Tony Greer and Jared Dillian, it was quite tradery. If you're really interested in the trades, they both have the trader background. So it featured um, much heavier than it will today in this edition when you're really quite the, the futurist, David. And then Gio Chen, looking at his perspective through a family office, going from the banking world to the family office world, managing his own family's wealth, and really figuring out how he was going to get that high value research, uh, not with the endless budget that he used to have at a bank, but really just allocating 2% of what he does to that and making sure that it was paying, the research pays dividends for him. And Paul Hodges, I thought was fascinating, planning with geopolitics, calling a Trump win, uh, and how how much that played. So quite different what we'll do with you, but we do want to get your frameworks, David. But before we get there, just give us a little bit of a backstory uh, as it kind of lays the foundation for the type of research that, that you do that we're going to discuss today. Yeah, so really my my deeper background lies in um, essentially speaking to leaders inside large organizations, working with them, consulting with them on emerging technologies, where they're taking us, what it all means, and crucially for these people inside these organizations, how they should respond, how they can innovate. These are these are leaders in some and sometimes they're responsible for the foresight function themselves. Sometimes they're more, more kind of hands-on, they're product designers, um, they're marketers sometimes, and often it's these days it's the C-suite because I'm getting old now. Um, and they are just like looking out to a world that appears intensely chaotic. Uh, all these emerging technologies are happening and they just want to know like, what should we do? You know, how can we sort the signal from the noise? What should we really be focusing on and how can we respond to it? And then you go on a journey of thinking about, you know, what are the crucial technologies in your space? Um, how are they evolving? And then crucially, how is that going to change the behaviors and the expectations of the people you're trying to serve? You know, and I spend a lot of time talking to these people and stressing to them that in the end, this is what we're really interested in here is human beings and we want to understand how these technologies and emerging technologies are going to fall into the lives of people, how they're going to use them, what they're going to mean for the customers you're trying to serve, the clients you're trying to serve. That's the deeper background that my research grows out of. These days, as Real Vision people you know, well know, I spend 
spend probably more of my time immersed in deep research and writing for the newsletters I write and, of course, crucially for The Exponentialist. Um, so more and more my life is actually, yes, still speaking to people in organisations, but pouring that research into you know, deep, deeply researched essays and videos and all the rest of it that help the good people of Real Vision um, on their journey, which is just amazing. And exactly what you just laid out there is what makes the ex exponentialist so fascinating and really the, the true value add there. The fact that so many big, important companies go to you for this type of information, and now you're distilling similar type of information for the Real Vision community. If you're not already subscribing to The Exponentialist, you can head over to realvision.com slash The Exponentialist. It's actually available with a $1,000 discount right now. Uh, we're going to air this interview both on the Real Vision platform, but also on YouTube, because this type of research is so fundamental for anybody who's investing. So this is really part of our core commitment to democratizing finance. So I just want to jump in. You've laid this out quite clearly, David. There are really three core pillars that underpin your research. So if we jump into the first part, which are these overarching frameworks and, and mental models you have, take us through that. Yeah, there's, so I guess the top of the funnel of my research process is just a number of big overarching frameworks and mental models that I use to structure my thinking and my view of what is out there. Because, you know, as you said at the, the top of the show, people are coming to me as a kind of futurist. You know, I have a troubled relationship with that word because it, people associate kind of mystical crystal ball gazing sort of powers with that. What I'm really trying to do is look out to the now, you know, what's really at the bleeding edge now, what's at the cutting edge now, and, and make sense of it and draw connections between it. The fundamental challenge we all feel when we try to do that is an incredible pace of change. You know, there's so much happening and just incredible volume of change. So you look out to the world and, and your first view, view of it is essentially of chaos. Um, the way you have to deal with that and, and that you inevitably end up dealing with that is to put mental models and frameworks in place that structure your view of this apparent chaos and allow you to discern sort of deep underlying patterns in it. The fundamental, one of the fundamental models that I've always brought, and this really grows out of my consulting with large organizations, is this idea of the collision between a changing world and fundamental human needs. Fundamental human needs like value, security, convenience, status, the quest for meaning. Um, when people start to think about emerging technologies, they get very hung up on the technologies themselves, on what's changing. And, you know, you talk to them about, or they'll come to you and say, oh, AI is a technology trend. You know, what should I do about AI? Just thinking about AI, for example, in isolation, doesn't really advance us very far. It's much more powerful to think about how will this emerging technology AI collide with fundamental unchanging human needs? How will it unlock new ways to serve those human needs? Because when that happens, that's when you see new human behaviors and mindsets and expectations emerging at scale. So I am constantly, as I'm looking out there, looking to colliding with human needs and unlocking manifestations of human needs in new ways. I'll give you an example. Here's a really powerful example, I think. You know, for the last decade or more, I've been talking to clients about a trend called virtual companions. And this was about saying AI is going to unlock new ways to serve, not just human needs around functionality and transaction and information, but higher order human needs around social connection, happiness, you know, meaning, even intimacy. And sort of 10, 12 years ago, when I would talk to banks about this, people in the audience would sort of laugh. They'd think I was insane. Okay. But you could see the early signs of it happening then. You know, you could see AI starting to interact with these human needs in really unexpected, interesting ways. 10 years on, we're in the middle of this incredible generative AI moment. You know, um, Facebook's become meta. 
Meta has just announced a whole load of AI-fueled, essentially virtual companions, you know, uh, companions to talk to, to chat to, to be your friend. It's becoming mainstream. And, and you see how, how applying that very, very simple framework, you know, it's far from rocket science. That's the power of it. Anyone can do it. But applying framework way back when really allowed you to discern an emerging technology trend that just wasn't on the radar of very many people. We're going to take a quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Join over 5,000 attendees for the largest AI event in Asia at Super AI Singapore, June 5th and 6th, 2024. Rao Pal, Benedict Evans, Balaji Srinivasan, Edward Snowden, and over 150 others will join the industry's most influential to explore and unveil the next wave of transformative AI technologies. Singapore will become a vibrant AI hub for a week from June 3rd through June 9th with over 150 side events that will make for unparalleled networking opportunities. Visit www.realvision.com forward slash super AI for 20% off tickets with the code realvision or click below. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. And I think we're just having a little bit of, I can hear you quite clearly, but if you're seeing a little bit of glitch from David's camera, you're not the only one, but I think we've got you. I mean, it's interesting. You gave a really tangible example there, and we've seen that growth, especially with Meta. David, I'm just curious of an example then that doesn't work, because on the surface, you're kind of technology meets human need, but so often there are things that we didn't know that we needed until we have them. I mean, I'm thinking of the iPad, for example. I really thought when I was reporting on that coming to the marketplace at the, how much do people need it? And then it seemed like they did. So you've got a tangible example uh, there of how AI could work as a, a companion. What's an example where it doesn't meet that framework where you see AI and you say, no, that's that's really not a human need. Yeah, I mean, when you're thinking about this framework of the collision of, of, of emerging technology technologies and human needs, it allows you to spot powerful new directions. Um, it doesn't allow you to, uh, to spot specific manifestations of those new directions and know whether they're going to be successful or not. So, so again, sort of way back when, I mean, this goes sort of you know, 15, 20, 20 years back, really. You know, I was talking then about how the internet is going to unlock all kinds of new manifestations of the deep human need that is social connection. And essentially back then you were seeing very early um, manifestations of what became, you know, the titanic social phenomenon that is social media. Um, but, but it didn't make it possible to pick which specific social media companies are going to succeed and which are not. You know, MySpace fell by the wayside Facebook became a global titan. And that's very much to do with highly context-dependent um, differences and operational differences and competencies just inside the organization. You know, so what I'm looking for are deep, underlying, powerful technological directions of travel. I No one really can tell you, you know, 20 years out, 10 years out, okay, which specific company is the next iPhone and which is not? You know, yes, they're riding a powerful trend. Are they going to execute? Are they going to have the perfect product? Are they going to step to customers in the right way? All of that is highly context dependent. And, and you talk about these virtual spaces for human expression, not just human communication. Give us some examples there, you've talked a lot about NFTs, but where you see that type of framework moving and affecting your research. 
Yeah, I mean, this is another example of how powerful the um, the, the human needs and change framework can be. Because another trend, you know, I've been talking about for you know, like over a decade now was a trend that back in the day we called um, the virtual experience economy. And this was about saying that virtual worlds, you know, internet worlds you can step inside will become domains of human expression and places where people go to transact with one another or just to hang out with one another, where they want to express themselves, where they want to make art. You know, again, 10, 15 years ago, that seemed a very odd set of ideas, but you could see very early signs. I mean, everyone remembers, for example, the video game Second Life, which kind of fell by the wayside. But you could see how these immersive virtual worlds that you can step inside were unlocking new ways to, to serve these deep underlying human needs, you know, the search for the search for meaning, status, hanging out with your friends, expressing yourself. And, and now look, I mean, we had, you know, this metaverse explosion in 2021. There was a lot of hype around it. But you can see how these virtual worlds are becoming new domains of self-expression, um, new places where people are going to transact. NFTs are going to be a huge part of that because they allow you to essentially create digital art and own it and sell it to others. Um, so again, it's just an indication of how seeing emerging technologies through the lens of fundamental human needs empowers you to see deep underlying new directions of travel. And it's interesting how much you value human emotion, because I think that's one of the things that people scoff at the most in many different sectors, especially online. Remember when people kind of said, well, who are you talking to online? And we're talking about the AOL instant messenger days, the ICQ, and how it was kind of the butt of jokes. And certainly nobody's laughing now. Everybody's trying to capitalize on it. I'm interested to dive a little bit deeper and find out what is on your radar right now, the type of tech trends that you're you're tracking and you see emerging now that you're writing about in The Exponentialist. Yeah, I mean, it's funny you talk about, I mean, I, and I said earlier about being laughed at. I mean, when, when, you're, when you're trying to live 5, 10, 15 years in the future and you're talking to people about it, um, it's that constant battle of get of getting people to go to places that they feel uncomfortable with and places that even seem to them sometimes somewhat ludicrous and ask them to think about to to just take a different perspective on it and think about and and think about what it would look like if this did become a a true social phenomenon at scale. And once social media was of that ilk, and once the idea of AI companions, that people would kind of chat to and tell their problems to and hang out with was of that ilk. Now we see them really emerging into the mainstream. Um, so it, yeah, it's that it's, it, but you can use this framework as well to develop, you know, not to do stock picking, like you said at the beginning, that's not really who I am, but to develop deep underlying theses about um, technology investment, you know, powerful new currents, powerful new technology themes that you can then focus your investment towards and start to drill down on. So now, yeah, I mean, you know, the technology trends talking to leaders about now, um, you know, simulations are a huge part of it. We're seeing the combination of AI, you know, being able to crunch huge amounts of data and um, sophisticated immersive virtual worlds come together to allow us to create next generation highly sophisticated uh, simulations of reality. And that's going to unlock all kinds of new possibilities. You know, we're going to be able to simulate physical spaces. I mean, I wrote a lot about this in last month's Exponentialist, especially with relevance to NVIDIA, who are a huge player here. You know, simulate physical spaces in new ways that allow us really powerful, actionable new insight on how those physical spaces work and what's going on in them. We're also going to start to be able to simulate human society. So we're going to be able to simulate human behavior at scale. You know, so I'm talking to leaders inside organizations about how they're going to be able to simulate customer behavior and social behavior in all kinds of really powerful, interesting new ways and essentially test kind of product launches, test marketing strategies inside really sophisticated simulations with millions of sophisticated, sorry, with millions of simulated people inside them 
that is game-changing for things like market research, product testing and iteration and all the rest of it. So simulations are a huge um, technology trend that I'm talking about. You know, and of course, we're in the middle of a, a machine intelligence explosion. AI is going to massively disrupt uh, education and learning, which is just an unfathomably large sort of multi-trillion dollar, multi-billion dollar, you know, industry that doesn't stop with people, you know, once they've left college because large organizations are ever more conscious of the need to keep training and educating their knowledge workers through the arc of their career now. And you're going to see, you know, so you're going to see large language models trained on incredible amounts of domain-specific data who then become, who are then given a human avatar and become superstar teachers for a specific industry. Um, so just as, as we're going to see, you know, virtual companions for consumers, we're going to see superstar AI virtual teachers for healthcare, for banking, for retail, and all the rest of it. Those are two really powerful trends that are hugely on my mind right now. It's really interesting how that dovetails. I was just listening to an expert in longevity talking about how our society is really not structured for longevity. People are retiring too early just because they can, whereas they'd be really good to keep in the labor force to help train next generations. And to your point, we only go to university once in a career, usually maybe twice, but given the longevity, uh, the increasing longevity of humans, that we will need these types of courses over and over again, maybe at, maybe at three pivotal points in our career if we don't want people to retire too early. I want to go into some of the frameworks that you have specifically on the exponentialist. I know one of them that plays heavily as Metcalf's law. So just to, to just um, really distill that for us, how that plays out for those of us who are, are subscribing to The Exponentialist. Yeah, I mean, um, that's a hugely powerful one for the, that, that underlies The Exponentialist. And it's essentially about looking for, um, looking for, for, it's essentially about really looking for exponential curves. It's about looking for network effects you know, platforms and um, technologies and even individual businesses and products that exhibit really powerful networks of network effects and just become exponentially more valuable and powerful and useful to their users as the number of users grow. Because when you get that kind of network effect, you, you get you get runaway exponentials. And you know, you see it happening with crypto, you see it, you, you saw it happen with social networking and with the sort of internet more broadly. You know, as the user base grows, the power and the value of the network grows exponentially. And so you always want to be on the lookout um, for those kinds of exponential network effects and where they're starting to take root now. You know, and like we're always saying in the exponentialist. We humans are not built to understand or to perceive very easily exponentials, you know, because when you have an exponential growth effect, the growth at the beginning for a long time just looks extremely slow. You know, it really looks as though nothing much is happening, certainly nothing much exciting. And then you get this explosion, what appears to be this explosion. It's been an exponential all along. But then you suddenly really start to notice it. And then as soon as you've noticed it, it's going insane. So you're always looking. And of course, crypto is the most exciting example of that happening right now. You know, we all know that Rao's underlying, deep underlying belief, and of course, I agree, is that it, we're, we're seeing just an incredibly powerful network effect when it comes to, you know, to 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 crypto, the crypto universe, to Bitcoin, to, to Ethereum, and so on. So, you, so I'm always on the lookout for that kind of exponential network effect. We're going to take another quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. All of us together are living through the death of an old world and the birth of a new one. This is a fourth turning, but this is not the fourth turning of demographics or politics. This is the birth of the new technological age. This new world has a world of 3D printed rockets, crypto payments in space, discussions on the rights for humanoid robots, machine intelligence that may outperform our own, 
simulated worlds where autonomous AI agents write code for other autonomous AI agents. It's a world full of opportunity and full of difficulty too. You see, we are living history and it's happening much, much faster than any of us can comprehend. This is Reed's law, Metcalfe's law squared. Humanity has never gone through anything like this. But we have to comprehend and understand what is happening. It is into this world that The Exponentialist is born. The Exponentialist is a new service from me, Raoul Pal, and David Mattin, author of New World St. Hulans. It's an almanac of the fastest period of change ever witnessed in the human history. A period of excitement, exhilaration, difficulty, and terror. And The Exponentialist really is for humans first and investors second. Yes, the opportunities are enormous all round. To find out more and get our special launch pricing, go to realvision.com forward slash the future. And then you you have this tsunami of information coming at us, coming at you. And one thing that you focus on is the mental models that you can use to structure that tsunami of information. Tell us how that works. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's like, it's like the, um, the human needs and fund, uh, sorry, the, the, you know, emerging technologies and fundamental human needs, um, mental model. And after a while, those become sort of almost subconscious. And you're looking out to, you know, as, as many examples and data points as, and as much information as you possibly can. And you're applying those mental models, pretty much almost unconsciously. And when something is relevant to one of those models, it pings, you know, you notice it, oh, there's an exponential network effect. Oh, that example is an indication that this emerging technology, you know, AI or simulations or robotics is unlocking a new way to serve a fundamental human need in a really powerful way. Um, those mental models just give you some approach to how do I sort the wheat from the chaff? How do I sort the signal from the noise? Otherwise, you're just overwhelmed by information. I mean, another one that deeply underpins the exponentialist is this idea that the exponential age is in its, in its deepest sense characterized by a merging of the realm of information and the realm of physical reality, this deep merging of the realm of atoms and the realm of bits. And I'm always looking for examples of technologies that are bringing digital information into the physical world around us, because I think that's a, that is a deep, deep underlying trend that is shaping the exponential age. So that's another mental model that, that is just there in my subconscious structuring my view of what's going on out there. And, and just a reminder, folks, if you're watching this on the Real Vision platform, you can send David your questions right now, and we'll have him answer them. If you're watching this uh, somewhere off the platform, you can sign up for free. Just head over to realvision.com and ask your question right on the platform. So you have this huge amount of information, and then it's about absorbing this information, about processing all that information through the frameworks that you've just laid out. How do you go about that? Yeah, I mean, that's where it becomes um, almost a sort of almost a kind of volume game. You know, what you want to do is develop mental models and frameworks. And of course, as you absorb, as you kind of step into this world and you absorb more information, you'll start to develop more of them. And you always want to be revising them and you always want to be sort of sense checking them and developing new ones because, um, it's an it's it's a necessary system, but it's an imperfect one because you know the mental models you're missing or that you don't have will cause you to miss certain underlying patterns in what you're viewing out there. But anyway, you're developing some mental models, and then you're just trying to pour, or certainly what I do is just try to pour huge amounts of information through those mental models. And that just becomes, you know, so this is really stage two, the second big stage of my research process. It's just absorbing huge amounts of information, just reading everything I can get my hands on, trying to be everywhere. You know, I mean, like previous um, uh, guests on this series have said, you know, the number of subscriptions I have is just an absurd, almost illegal amount of subscriptions. <laughs> 
I spend just a ridiculous amount on information. You, you do it so the rest of us don't don't have to. But I'm curious <laughs> then on, on that point, what are your your usual sources and this other bucket you call your unusual sources? That that's the part that really fascinates yeah. me, probably more than the the usual ones. Yeah, I mean the usual ones. Everyone, you know, would of course imagine that you know I I want to be across what everyone else is is saying about technologies, about the technology industry and emerging tech. So I'm all over, you know, the Financial Times, the Wall Street Journal, Bloomberg, you know, all, of course, all the big players. Um, but then you want to kind of go deeper into your, um, in, in, into more domain-specific sources of information and analysis. And of course, like, like everyone else, you're always looking for an edge. You're always looking for sources of information that other people are not coming to or they're not coming to as quickly as you um you know i mean there's a, there's an incredible ecosystem of technology newsletters out there now um of which mine is just it's mine is just one amid a million or a hundred million it sometimes feels like you know that so you know for example i i've been writing a lot this week for gmi about um an update on the semiconductor industry and on AI uh, compute and AI chips in the wake of the incredible NVIDIA results we've just seen. You know, everyone asking, is NVIDIA, or lots of people asking, is NVIDIA the next Cisco? You know, where's this all going to head? Surely AI spending can't maintain at these levels. And we get into all of that. Um, and I'm across, you know, sort of industry-specific and domain-specific analysis to try to get an edge there. You know, there's a, for example, there's a brilliant, I mean, many, many people, this is actually a pretty well-known one. Many people will know this one. There's a brilliant newsletter that goes really deep on semiconductors called Semi-Analysis. I subscribe to that. It's one of the pricier newsletters, I think, but it just goes insanely deep on technical analysis of the players in the semiconductor industry, who's got the edge on who, which chip is coming when, how it works. Another source I've always loved, and this stretches back into my time talk, doing more consulting and speaking to large organizations, is um, roundups and any information I can find on the patents that big tech companies are filing. Because oh, they yeah. just, yeah, they just give you such a great indication of where they're headed. New products they're trying to develop. You know, this is you know like Meta platforms, Alphabet, Amazon. What what patents are they filing? Um, it gives you a great indication of where they're heading in product development, what's on their mind, and that and that taken as a whole, that gives you a really great picture of where big big tech is heading um, overall. I mean, just last week, I'm sure I read it last week. Maybe it was this week. You know, you see you see engineers at Google filing a patent for a, a, a kind of AI assistant that is much more context aware and that is essentially, I mean, some people would say is listening to you <laughs> and looking at you uh, and just absorbing your lifestyle and what you're saying in the house and all the rest of it in order to be uh, an extremely useful, aware kind of assistant that can sort of um, preempt what you want of it, can sort of say, oh, hey, like I, I heard you talking yesterday about, you know, visiting uh, New York, perhaps you'd like to know about the restaurants there. Now, some people might call that spooky, some people might love it, whatever. What I want to know is just that it's happening and this is on the mind of, and I, you know, I've long known that that kind of context aware AI is on the mind of big tech, but here's another signal of how far along they're going. So those kind of patent filings are really, really interesting. And one that people are probably quite familiar with and and actually, I worked quite closely with Maggie Lake, where we were following Gene Munster, the the well-known Apple analyst, and he really made a kind of art out of looking at the patents uh, or patents, depending on how you pronounce it, uh, for Apple. And it's really become kind of a, a cottage industry. But I always found in in my reporting, you find those niche of niche, not just the Apple analyst, but the Apple patent ad analyst. And that's where you get that type of information. And, and those people are always some of the, the most useful. I don't know if Rao paid you to say this, but I know that in the kind of notes that we've been doing back and forth, and Rao just hammers home about Twitter lists. 
So did he put you up to it? Are these Twitter lists genuinely? I mean, it sounds so <laughs> simple and they've been around for so long and people actually don't use them nearly as much. But when we find people who just are so honed in on a, on a particular industry like Rao, like you for the exponentialist, you're just always harping on about these about your Twitter lists. Yeah, Twitter. I know I've lo- I've loved the Twitter lists for a long time. They might be they might have come to my mind for this interview because Rao, because he does love them too. But I can understand why. Um, you know, I mean, I, this is a, this is probably the iconic example for for Twitter lists. But I've followed for years. It's like oh, Twitter because for me, he's so synonymous with Twitter. I followed um, Robert Scoble, you know, the the Silicon Valley tech analyst who's always been really deep on what's happening inside Apple and just across the technology industry and is is kind of famous, some might say infamous, for just tweeting relentlessly. And this is like back in the early days of like Twitter, like 2007, six, seven, eight, whatever. He was sort of notorious for just really being at home on the Twitter platform, constantly tweeting. And he's always kept great Twitter lists um, that I've, and I've always found them you know, extremely useful. Now those lists have grown to an insane, to just insane uh, size. You know, he's he's got Twitter lists of thousands of people across AI, and so. But you can you, and you can just grab his lists and take them and make them your own lists. That's the um, best part that they're public. Yeah, they're totally public, and just you know, you're just getting this constant feed, this kind of Bloomberg terminal of amazing content and examples from. You know the technology industry sorted by domain, sorted by yeah technology types, is, and I and I subscribe to lots of other lists too. They're just a really useful, you know, if you're kind of in something more of a lean back kind of time, you know, you don't have a big essay deadline, you don't have, you know, you just want to be keep, you just want to be doing that background research. You want to be keeping your head in the game, making sure that you're just constantly feeding those mental models. Like I say, you know, you just want to scrolling through those lists and seeing, oh, hey, like, you know, this new AI startup's just doing X, Y, Z. Oh, that robotics startup I've been following has got a trial going in this factory now, or they've just showcased a new feature on their product. You know, all of that is really useful. That's what I mean when when it's just constant pouring of information through these underlying mental models that are structuring your thinking. And then over time, what you want to be doing there is developing new mental models too, like I say. Because you don't want to leave, you don't you don't want to kind of develop a kind of mental model fueled blindness, where you're stuck with a few mental models that are leaving you blind to other things that other important things that were happening. So you want to remain flexible. You want a cognitive flexibility in that way to be able to develop new mental models too as you're moving. And then in terms of note taking, you're quite keen on Rome, but there's something in particular it does that that serves its purpose for you. I am a Rome geek, yeah. And if people don't haven't heard of it, you know, Rome is this uh, amazing, I think, um, note-taking app. It had a real moment, like during the pandemic, in sort of 2020, 21. Some people then, it, some people then sort of fell away from it. I guess that's inevitable for uh, for for an app that goes through a kind of little mini mini hype moment. But I just I find because I'm processing such large volumes of information. Um, or trying to, <laughs> I find it deeply useful. Yeah, and at the heart of Rome, it's just a simple idea of two-way links. So it's a very simple looking app and you're typing your notes into it, um, but you can put certain words in two brackets. And when you do, that creates a page. It creates a whole new page under the name of what you put in the brackets and takes what your the little bullet point you've written to that new page too. And then, and then that new page will also point back to the page that you were writing on. So that's a bit head spinning, perhaps the way I'm explaining it. But you, what what develops over time is just this deeply interconnected galaxy of notes. There's no traditional kind of filing cabinet structure of the kind that we're so used to on our desktops and in other note taking apps. Every single note is just its own individual note but they're all linked to each other by these connections you've made as you're writing. And that is actually founded in a method of note-taking called Zettelkasten um, from the 20th century, where sociologists and philosophers would write notes on individual cards 
and, and put them in these huge elaborate filing systems and use tags on the cards to link the card to other cards. Um, and it's a really powerful way of letting your, your idea galaxy evolve and then starting to see the connections that perhaps you hadn't seen. You can take a kind of bird's eye view of that galaxy and start to see connections you had. So for that reason, yeah, extremely useful, simple piece of software. Zettelkasten. Yes. That's how you say? Zettelkasten. Yeah. yeah. I was just yeah. talking about remember. that yes, just yesterday. <laughs> no, not at all. I mean, we've touched on AI now a few times throughout this conversation, obviously, but it's actually one of your core pillars in terms of how you approach research. So talk to us about how you use ChatGPT as a sparring partner, for example, as part of doing your research. Yeah, so this is really the third big plank of, of my research process. Um, you know, I've got the mental models, I'm pouring information through them, and then I'm I'm just relentlessly seeking, you know, actionable insight, useful insight, um, deep underlying technology trends and understanding of how they're connecting to one another and what that means for all of us and the new directions it's going to take. Consumer behavior, society, businesses. You know, yes, new investment theses, you know, what, um, how are people going to be deploying capital and why against these technologies? Um, and so the newer part of that research process has been, of course, I'm thinking deeply about all of that, but increasingly I'm using um, chat GPT, you know, which is powered by a large language model, GPT-4, as a kind of Yes, thought sparring partner to um, supercharge the development of those kinds of ideas. You know, and the crucial thing here, I think, is that when you talk about using AI in these ways, people are often very sort of, uh, or people can be very alarmed by the thought of, oh, like, you know, you're, we're, we're outsourcing our thinking to AI, or we're outsourcing our creativity to AI. You know, that's really bad news, and we're going to get really bland results and, uh, and all the rest of it. And I mean, yes, that's true. I, I agree with those criticisms, but that is the wrong way of fundamentally the wrong way of approaching your intellectual relationship, if it's not too grandiose a way of putting it, with, with AI. You can use it not to outsource your thinking and creativity, but to supercharge you as a thinker and, and as a creative person. So you are still the source of the thinking and the creativity. But you're using, so I use chat GPT essentially to bounce ideas off, you know, so I'll just open a chat often and start just sort of kind of monologuing what I'm thinking about and start, this is how, this is how the habit grew for me, just monologuing what I'm thinking about, getting chat GPT to respond. Often the responses are, you know, fairly bland, fairly mediocre, fairly kind of first order. Um, mm. But every now and again, something will pop up in that, that you're like, oh, hey, that that is quite interesting. And it hadn't occurred to me. And then you can go deeper, you can ask questions. And off the back of that, I've evolved some sort of more sophisticated techniques for making those interactions um, more productive. And I can I'll, talk about um, a couple of them. I'll give you, I'll just give you an example of how I've found this quite useful. If I'm I'm having to prepare some remarks for a conference I'm going to be attending. So I essentially wrote, I wouldn't call it a speech, but my, my remarks and just asked ChatGPT to rewrite it and just see if there was any way to make it more succinct. And there are just a couple of parts where it changed it and made it better. And I didn't use what it wrote, but that spurred an idea in me, just in the same way that I use Grammarly, just to make sure that copy is clean. But a lot of times something happens in Grammarly, even if it's just a one word suggestion or one word change, or it creates that pattern. So it's not that it's replacing my thinking. And a lot of times it's actually enhancing my thinking. I see over and over again, oh, that was, that's the grammar rule there that I, I wasn't cognizant of, or that's a different way of approaching these, these remarks. I mean, I know you did a list of these in, in a report for, for GMI lately. So any, any more tangible that you can, can share with us? Yeah, look, and I, I think the way, as you've outlined it there, is exactly how people should be using it. And I think that is the that is the direction of our 
relationship with AI. You know, we can use it to supercharge ourselves. We can use it to enrich ourselves and, and, and enhance our own creativity and our own thinking. And when people understand that, they'll be much more excited about using these tools and much more excited about the potential of them. Um, one big technique that I found, and this I wrote about this in GMI, and it was great to see a couple of people actually like writing back to me having used it, uh, which is fantastic, is um, think about developing uh, distinct personas inside ChatGPT. So I developed three. I mean, here's a baseline way of doing it. I developed three simple personas. Um, they're called Zed, Solara, and Bowie. Zed is just extremely conservative and cautious and plays it safe. Um, Solara is sort of optimistic and creative and super helpful. And Bowie is essentially sort of wild and a little unhinged and crazy. Um, and yeah, and a little bit mad. Um, and I will step to, sometimes if I want to go a little bit deeper, I will step to them with a set of ideas that are on my mind, a set of perspectives about an emerging technology and how it might evolve and what the implications might be, and just have a chat with that group. And, and this really taps into what we're saying as the underlying relationship here. This isn't about asking ChatGPT to sort of give me the answer, you know, to just tell me what to think or tell me what's going to happen. This is about bouncing a range of different perspectives off my head in order that I can refine my own perspective. You know, and it's we know that it's always useful to do that. You can think of this as just having like three really smart friends constantly on tap, 24-7, always willing to talk to you, you know, never get tired, always want to help. They're at 2 a.m. in the morning to just for you to just go, oh, hey, I've been thinking about this. You know, what do you I've been thinking about this AI? I've been thinking about the future of, um, you know, humanoid robots and the way it might impact this um, demographic. Like, what do you think? And um, just chat, chat, chat. And that will inevitably doing that will develop your own ideas and perspectives, you know, often because what you're getting back, you disagree with, but it's going to prompt your own thinking um, and, and just push your creativity along. And when it when it really sings, when it really works, it really is, as I said in GMI, the feeling is of like a jetpack for the mind. You know, you feel like, wow, I've made hours of thinking progress here. I've been on a sort of journey of thought that might have taken me sort of a couple of days, you know, and it feels like it's happened in 30 minutes. It's that feeling of acceleration. You've maybe got to where you were going to get to, but it would have taken much longer um, without this tool. So, yeah, that's become a really, I mean, it's still very early days. You know, we've only had these kind of large language models in our lives for two, three years at most, you know, uh, I mean, I was using it before chat GPT, um, but still two, three years at most. And um, it's still very early days, but it is an exciting new direction for the final part of my process. And many more people are going to be experiencing that soon at work, you know, or in their own lives. Yeah, it's just another way to challenge yourself, finding multiple angles in not doing the work for you, but taking you to that next level in ways that sometimes just takes a can you think about this from a, another angle, something as simple as that? And it can give you the, aha, okay, I'm going to do this, but in my own way and in my yeah. own words. Go ahead, David. Yeah, and, and I'm, I'm going to be writing, you know, I know that people are super hungry, rightly, for sort of practical advice on how to get the most from these technologies, how to use these technologies to, to sort of supercharge themselves. So I'm going to, I'm really excited soon to start something of a series in the exponentialist about that you know that you know i'm writing these deeply these deep dive essays these uh, about deep underlying directions of travel here's something that you can really apply in your own life too um not just for investing but to supercharge you as a professional as a thinker um all around but yes to develop invest and people were doing this in the with the with the gmi personas i outlined to develop your kind of investment thinking too so yeah, just a series on some really practical advice, you know, how can you bring AI into your own life and use it to supercharge you, I think is going to be a really useful one for people.
Yeah, it's actually something I really enjoy about the exponentialist. The trades are there, even though we weren't focusing on that in this conversation. I don't want to undermine you either. They're, the trade basket is there, but so much of what you have is practical, not just in terms of investing or tech investing, but actually how you go about your everyday uh, work, even if it's not uh, investing isn't core of that. Uh, to that. So it, it's really a, an incredible product. And I love that you gave us so many tidbits, not just from the exponentialist, but also from the work that you do with Rao at GMI in this conversation. If folks are interested in the exponentialist, you can get it at the Real Vision Marketplace. Just head over to realvision.com slash the exponentialist. I'm really proud of the work that we're doing in the marketplace because it gets people a lot of the products that they want. They may not have as many subscriptions as you, but we're really getting people the best prices for the best quality products in this entire market, the exponentialist being one of them, I mentioned before, there's a $1,000 discount if you purchase it through realvision.com slash The Exponentialist. So David, thank you very much for being with us. Apologies for some of the video problems that we had, but we could hear you really clearly. So if you're hearing this on audio, you probably could hear David perfectly. Um, there's a lot of technology, but sometimes that internet connection is still the hardest of them all, but I know you've been combating it quite hard, David. So, so don't take it personally. Yeah, thanks everyone. Yeah, that my technology, um, my my internet connection is not yet as exponential as I want it to be. But I hope the messages came across loud and clear. And Samuel, thank you so much. It's been really fun to talk about to talk about the process I'm engaged in. L loud and clear. Probably Ra will send you a Starlink next. So we'll see you over in the Exponentialist, David. Have a good one, everybody. And we'll have more, especially crypto, in the later part of the week now, today and tomorrow, a lot of crypto research as well. Tomorrow we'll have Miss Schneider along with Holden Milstein talking about uh, some of the research they do and some really valuable trades uh, that they've had and what they have uh, in terms of ideas for some upcoming trades. So we'll see everybody uh, here tomorrow as well. Have a great one. We hope you enjoyed this episode. At Real Vision, we arm you with the expert knowledge, time-efficient tools, and a powerful network to help you succeed on your financial journey. Get a taste of financial freedom with our free offer at realvision.com forward slash free.